You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Let's talk gin. Isolation Proof was born in 2020 in a wooden barn in Western Catskills. Sustainable with minimal intervention. Jake Sherry's small batch gin uses all organic botanicals, local mineral water, and sets a new standard of flavor. It's not just a gin, it's a sensory experience. If you like gin and you think you want to love gin, but sometimes the image of gin is it's kind of stodgy, and there's people who are just so brand loyal that they don't think, they don't create, they don't move. Uh, I have Jake Sherry on today who makes this incredible gin. You have to listen to this. It's a, a You just have to try it, and we'll, we'll fill all that in later. But I want to thank Jake Sherry for joining me today. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, yeah. So we were chatting uh, uh, before while we were setting up, and Jake was telling me he was in the youth circus. Uh, <laughs> how did I? How did I know that I was going to make it on like immediately? I, I, yeah. Well, how, I don't know anyone who walks wires. Uh, or was it wire walker? Wire walker. I mean, because wire walker. And normally, I don't think that because you're tall. How tall are you? I don't want to think about where my center of gravity is because yeah, it's like way up here. Right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. why I was just like, wow. That's. I mean, we all, we all seen like man on wire or red. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Which is really that was that was me from like thirteen to eighteen. Yeah. Wow. I lived that life. A, yeah. a, a, a circus guy. A circus guy. A circus guy. How times have changed. Yeah. Um, so just a little background, where are you from? Um, and Because uh, we're going to get to how somebody falls into being this incredible distiller that you are. So, Born in New Hampshire. So I kind of, and you know, I mentioned Vermont, where my folks are now. So I have some Northeast roots. Uh, but I really grew up in New Orleans. So okay. I'm a Southerner at heart. And I was there from like six weeks old to when the time I left for college. Okay. And what did you, you take in college? I studied filmmaking, so I thought I wanted to make feature films, and that's what brought me to New York. And uh, I don't know how I made it from there to distilling, but we'll get more into that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, tell me, uh, like, what was it breaking into the film business? Um, and then at one point, um, you obviously hit a, uh, a juncture, and you're like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So uh, yeah, what was uh, give me some exciting moments making these films or documentaries. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I started studying film because I love stories and film combined, like all these things, writing and the visual aspects of it and, and music and audio and kind of all those mediums into one mm -hmm. in a pretty powerful way. And so I was fascinated by that. Um, but I realized that no one was going to give me, you know, $5 million to make my first feature. So I kind of had to, to make it a career. And so I fell into advertising and directing commercials and, and the branded content right. side of things. And... Uh, realized at some point that I probably wasn't going to make the feature film because there were so many other things I wanted to do and so many other hobbies. And I would have had to just like dedicate every waking minute to making that happen. Sure. And I didn't quite have that fire for it. And at, at that point, I realized I needed to probably switch careers and do something else that I was a little more excited about. So, so give me the highlight of one of your favorite like shorts or documentaries that you did. Um, yeah. Before I mean, all the bullshit and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. do uh, documentaries about surgical I'll, sutures or. I'll give you two because <laughs> okay. there were a lot of the, of the okay. surgical suture type. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you like nailed it actually okay. right. because right. Like all the money's in, in uh, medical devices and pharma. Right. Yeah, so exactly. those, that was a lot of my clients, but I remember, and it was actually 
a story about a surgeon, a, a deaf surgeon in New Caledonia, this little island off the coast of Australia. Okay. And um, in his spare time, and I was always into like the human interest stories. And so I, you know, I was like, I don't want to shoot in the operating room. I want to like shoot what you do when you're not, you know, like get to the heart of who you are as yeah. a person. And so he was a spear diver in his time off. And so we kind of paralleled his life as a surgeon and his life spear diving. And so I remember like it was dawn and we were just jetting out on jet skis across the ocean to go film this guy diving. See, now that sounds right? exciting. That yeah. was that was yeah. pretty exciting. So there were there was those moments like that where I was just like, I have the coolest job in the world. Right. And then there'd be moments where, you know, the ad agency people were debating whether to put the pink pillow on the couch or the red pillow that I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a mix. And then the, the other story that I was just thinking about the other day that's alcohol-related, it'll bring us back, was one of the last big jobs I did was for Malibu Rum oh, yeah. uh, in Vietnam with Nick Jonas. And, and oh, it, was this, it was this ridiculous job. Uh, and they, they came up with all these games called the Malibu Games, and they'd be competitions. So it was like all these influencers, and Nick Jonas right. was hosting this thing. And so like this giant, massive water balloon fight that we filmed in slow motion and like this giant water slide, all these things. But I just remember filming Nick Jonas, and before the shot, he wanted to do push-ups to like get, get his muscles pumped up. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's one of my last memories of the film business. <laughs> but it's it's so crazy because you think about the budget of flying people to Vietnam, Nick Jonas's salary, all the other social influencers, that's a feature film. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But they do it yeah. for Malibu Rum. For Malibu Rum. That's that's uh, And I think I got to the point where I you know, I realized that I probably didn't want to die, you know, directing one more Malibu Rum commercial. <laughs> so it was, just, <laughs> it was time for that's a That's a horrible obit. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Known yeah. for his Malibu Rum. And I think if you balance it out and you do the commercials so that you can make a living and yeah. then you make the films, that's one thing. But I think what I the conclusion I came to is I had all these other passions and things I wanted to do. And so in my spare time I wasn't going to make the film. I right. was going to do other stuff. So it just became a job. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is, no doubt, the uh, traveling the world. Absolutely. Right? I mean, for Australia, yeah. you're in Vietnam. Yeah. I'm sure you're yeah. traveling all over. That's cool. Yeah. And that probably informs your taste, your vision for what you do on some level. I think the similarity I think yeah. about a lot is kind of the, the entrepreneurial nature of it, of like right. starting a distillery. And the film business was that way. You know, you really had to hustle and get out there and meet people and connect. And it was all about relationships. Mm. And this business is pretty similar. Uh, so as, as I mentioned earlier, um, so like Jen has this personality, uh, you know, that is just uh, – it's like James Bond. It's the stodgy. And like we, we know – like, you know, Jen, I'm only a Tanqueray guy. Uh, you know, that, you know Bombay Sapphire. And they're so brand-specific. But like your grandma's I, gin. We yeah, think of it as like the, it, the thing that our grandparents had in their cabinet. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think um, things are changing, particularly in the spirit world, particularly in an environment where – People uh, just touched on this Ray Isle and his book, his whole preface is people care what they put in their body and they want to have a personal connection to the person who's uh, in wine. They want to have a personal connection to the family that's been doing it. Uh, the people are doing it with their hands who care about the environment, who care about sustainability. And that's key. And I know it's still alcohol you put in your body, but they still want that connection, which totally makes sense, right? Um, so where's the turn from this business? Like, I mean, tell me why you picked gin and then, well, maybe first we should start about the categories that people know, right? You got like London dry, uh, which is the kind of classic that a lot of people know. Um, 
Plymouth, which is from Plymouth, England, right? That's yeah. a, a kind of similar in style, really kind of juniper. Um, yeah, I think about Plymouth as a London dry style gin. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Uh, Navy Strength, which is just higher ABV. Yeah. So those are the, so higher alcohol content. So those are the three kind of categories. And then there's the the new style, which is the American style, international style, maybe we'd call it. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, I often call it like new American style gin, but I think you're right that it's more than just American yeah. gin. There's all these new gins yeah. that are very, very flavor and botanical driven. Right, which which is uh, very cool, and that's where uh, the hand harvesting of the botanicals and the organic botanicals all come in. So, why did you pick gin of all? And you didn't have any of this like science background to no. like because because you made your own still. It's you make it in a barn. Um, so let's let's. Give me the aha moment. It's going to be gin. It's not vodka. It's not, I mean, everybody's doing tequila. I love mezcal. And I think mezcal and what you're doing is very similar. There's a small, you know, real craft spirit in mezcal. And what you're doing is similar. Um, So why why gin? I mean, I think there's kind of a a creative and a romantic answer, and then there's a practical answer. But the the creative answer is that – I saw a tremendous room for creativity within gin, right? By definition, it has to have juniper, mm-hmm. but beyond that, you could do almost anything. So I saw it as a spirit category because if you put a juniper berry in, you can do just about anything else, right. and that leaves it pretty wide open. Right. To your point, if if I put a brown spirit in front of most people, they yeah. would go, yeah, that's a whiskey. Yeah. They, maybe they wouldn't say it's rye or they wouldn't say it's a bourbon, but yes. but in gin has this much uh, – it's a bigger palate to, yeah. to work with. So is that why? And did you entertain any other spirit besides that, an eau de vie or um, – Yeah, I think there was, a, there was kind of a, a business – um, piece to it as well, which gin felt like a category which everyone knew. And so it felt like something that we could start a business around and actually take out. And, and when you say, hey, this is gin, people know what you're talking about. Right. Whereas I think there's other wonderful clear spirits like Eau de Vie, but they're a little more niche. And mm-hmm. I wanted something that the people knew what it was when I set it down in front of them. At least, even if it doesn't taste like any other gin they've had, they still know what gin is. Sure. And so it gives you a starting point. So that was that was kind of the business side of it. And then the creative side, as I said, was it was wide open. I felt like we could really push the potential of, of what people think of as gin. Right. And then the last piece of it is it didn't have to sit in barrels. You know, I didn't have millions of dollars to kind of have the product on shelves exactly. and make brown spirits. And so clear spirits, you know, gin needs to sit for about six, eight, eight weeks to mellow in tanks, but then you can bottle it. Right. And so it was faster to market and we could learn and, and, and move it out quicker. Yeah. People don't realize that exactly. You're paying for barrels uh, yeah. when you're in, in whiskey yeah. or even wine. Um, and I think you're paying for yeah. time too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so you have to have a, a fairly large uh, bank account to really, That's right. to, to make that work. Yeah. So uh, give us, uh, I mean, you had no background in this. This is the cool no. part, right? For people who have, who, who have these big dreams, um, you know, you still listen, this is a great story. Like you have no idea what you're doing, right? I mean, of course, no then you start idea. researching. And I still have imposter syndrome. <laughs> 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 if I'm being honest. I mean, because yeah. I, I had no distilling background. Right. I had no formal training. I hadn't really worked in, I'd worked in, you know, my, my hospitality career was working in a Thai restaurant for like a week and then being fired. So like that's, <laughs> that was it, right? So they're like, now what am I going to do? I just got fired from a Thai restaurant. <laughs> but So, so they, I have yeah. no background in it and, it, and in a very self-taught. And I think uh, at times, as I said, I feel like I have imposter syndrome because I'm like, why, why am I doing this? I don't have any background. Yeah. But I think maybe there's also something to having no preconceived notions of the industry or making spirits. And it's been very instinctual, really just 
trying to make spirits that I liked, that I was excited about, and that I thought other people would be excited about, mm-hmm. and that would be interested okay. in. And so that's that's what drives it. So are you one of those people, like, once you uh, find something, you obsess and go down the rabbit hole, and, like, no, like everybody goes, hey, what happened to Jake? We haven't seen him in 10 months, and you're in your barn, uh, like, building a, a still? Like, how do you uh, yeah. get, how do you, how do you pick the still? Um, and the place, you're up in, like, the Catskills, um, our, which is which is very cool. Yeah, our first, our first still uh, came from a dist, uh, equipment supplier called AffordableDistilleryEquipment.com. Ooh, so, sexy. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so we were picking it based on our yeah. budget, right? right. But yeah. I think um, w- distilling is like cooking. And I think uh, if if you know how to follow a recipe and, and, and then from there, if you know how to start experimenting – on that recipe, you can make something pretty decent pretty fast just by intentional choices. You need good ingredients, and you need to, to understand the basic concepts. And then from there, it's a lot of trial and error. So I think a misconception, and people told us, I had a business partner getting into it at the time, a, a good friend from New Zealand, who I started the business with and kind of learned everything with. And people told us that we had to have $2 million or $5 million or, or whatever to start a distillery. Right. And we said, how about how about like 20 grand? <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> and we started it as scrappy as possible. Right. And, our, and, you know, my, my wife and I bought this property in the Catskills. And so we started the distillery in our wooden barn. Uninsulated wooden barn in the Catskills. That's yeah, but see, ignorance is is bliss at this point because you did it. People like you do need two million. You're like, I don't have it. Fuck it, I'm going to do it. Do um, it anyway. But that yeah. the can do attitude is like incredible, and you just uh, dived yeah. in, and you ended up in the Catskills because you had a house up there, or you love the water, or like what was yeah. the reasoning yeah. behind the Catskills? Yeah, Which I love it because it's New York. It's great. It is. Yeah. I mean, I spent summers. I grew up in New Orleans, but I spent summers as a kid up in the Adirondacks because my parents were both academics and, right. and my dad was born in White Plains and he had this family place in the Adirondacks. And so they were professors and they got summers off and so we could travel, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I you know, I, I spent my summers as a kid in the woods. And so after moving to New York City, I think I took a couple of weekend trips up to the Catskills and just immediately fell in love because I think it was just getting back to getting back to the woods and being in nature and yeah. it felt really good. It's uh, I, I go up there a lot. Yeah. I was just up there for Thanksgiving. I was in Big Indian, actually. Um, That's pretty close. Yeah, and so we and we go to Woodstock all the time. Eat at my favorite restaurants. Give a shout out to Sylvia. Uh, Neil's restaurant's the best. great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. there is something meditative about being in the mountains. It's like, I don't feel like I'm even driving. I just feel like I'm like praying when I'm driving through the mountains and the water and the air and the color. It's just. Fucking gorgeous, man. It's refreshing. Uh, And I think I've come to your point about like, do I go down the rabbit hole of things? The answer is yes. And for me, for a moment, that was the Catskills. And after my wife and I bought this property, I just wanted to be there 24-7. I didn't want to leave. And so that's how the business started to some extent is the wheels started turning about. Like, I want to start a business up here that will keep me up here in this place that feels so good. And that was was how the distillery was born. But I think- 2020. yeah, so I you're mean, like three years in, really. Start, I mean, yeah, the distillery started in 2018, but okay. the first two years were learning, and I didn't have a product out in the market. And 2020 was really when my other work stopped, my film production work, and I could mm. really focus on the distillery and get a product right. gin to market. So uh, the name Isolation, Isolation Proof came from the pandemic. 
because it was it was oh. born in 2020 oh, uh, when we were extremely isolated. I wouldn't even think about I, that, right? I thought, and I love the fact that you didn't think about it because yeah. I don't want it to be, you know, a pandemic tied product. Yeah. So I like that history, but I like the name having a, a life of its own. And what it's come to mean to me is what it what it means to be isolation proof is. <laughs> don't don't drink alone. I mean, like, right? <laughs> right. We want to be around it's people, communal. and I need yeah. human connection. And uh, if there's one thing I learned from the pandemic, it was that I didn't want to be isolated. Yeah. And so the isolation proof is kind of the antidote to That's that. That's pretty cool. I think people like, you know, this brand will be around for fifty to hundred yeah. years, and people look Let's back. That mark, you know, they held back pre-calendar as they would like, it was the year of the big hurricane. It was the year of the typhoon. And this would be an interesting historical footnote once this Absolutely. is 100 years old. It was, so. yeah. And I'm really, because like, you know, our kids' kids aren't going to know. They'll have yeah. to read about what we had to all go through. Yeah. Um, but what's great about um, the Catskills is you have incredible water. Uh, right, the, the mineral, and I was going to talk. Is how important is the water, like uh, you know, like it is in like Scotch? Um, water's water's really important mm-hmm. because you're you're not only distilling with water, mm-hmm. right, and arguably you're distilling a lot of that flavor and minerality out, but right. then you're adding water back to the spirit that comes mm-hmm. off the still in a process called gauging right. to get it down to bottling proof, and so that's where I think the taste of the water really, really comes in. And for me. I'm not enough of a scientist to know exactly what the water is doing to our spirit. But what I like about using Catskills water, and we're using water from a spring, which I'll talk about in a second, Mm -hmm. is that I think it gives the spirit a sense of place. um, And to use a wine term, terroir. Exactly. And that's what I get excited about because Mm -hmm. I want to be making a product that kind of tastes like the place where it was made. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that for me is the water. And what we – so when we started the distillery at our, our barn uh, our wooden barn. We had a spring on the property, so we were using that spring water. Mm-hmm. And then about a year ago, we moved the distillery about 10 minutes away. And I, I hesitated to buy this property for a while because it didn't have a spring. And I was like, we need a good water source. Right, yeah. But I was hiking on up in the woods on some old logging trails behind the distillery and heard running water and walked down this really steep hillside and found this spring that's just water gushing out of a boulder on the side of our property. Wow. And so I've spent the last year kind of harnessing that source and piping it down. Is that part of the Esopus River, or is that a different water source, you think? No, we're near the the east branch of the Delaware. Okay. Okay. Um, And uh, the Esopus is close, but uh, we're in the Catskills watershed, so there's just springs and streams and ponds and lakes, Mm -hmm. all of which kind of filters into the reservoirs and then makes its way down to New York City. So we're, we're distilling with... New York City's bagel water before it gets here. Nice. Yeah. And that's yeah. what makes New York bagels great that's right. is the water. That's right. That's why you can't so get that's great bagels. That's what makes New York gin great. Uh, yes, but exactly. Most distilleries yeah. are using municipal water right. that's chlorinated and has all that stuff taken out of it. Right. And we're using this just pure mountain right. water. And I really love that. When I, when I think of Terroir too, and, and I actually haven't been up there quite a bit, there's, it's a very special air quality, uh, light and you're at a pretty high elevation where you are. Yeah, about probably about a thousand feet. Right. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, like I know that that plays into it. I had a, a winemaker on Analemma who is uh, he starts each harvest off uh, with a, a meditation and a prayer and a, an intention. And then he said it's because it's it really brings all the all the aspects of the place. 
like f- to the forefront. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like that, uh, we talk about this energy in wine. I think the spirit, uh, the gin has it from what I tasted. The, the wow factor was very, very high when yeah. uh, it was brought to T. Edward and we were all tasting it. Um, and congrats because now I see it like in a lot of places and I'm really happy about that. We'll talk about it at the end of the show where people yeah. can find it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's a really, uh, it's such a cool project. Um, we should ha- talk about the sustainability and um, and your foraging because that's what's most impressive. We were talking about before the show started that, uh, you know, people want to know that there's a person connected to it, not a corporation. Um, and like the big, huge gin brands are. And like, if you really care about the, everyone does, but it, well, not everybody, sorry. People care about their environment and uh, our, our surroundings, we should be using products more like this, where you're actually forging organic botanicals, you forge mushrooms. Um, and then let's talk about the way that you use, because I've never even heard it, so explain the way component of this. <laughs> yeah, well, just to, to, yeah. to take a sure. quick step back to something you said a second ago about just the handmade mm-hmm. aspect of it. Right. I told you that I was listening to the Sam um, Altman interview about ChatGPT right. and just this, and Sam was talking about moving towards this digital world, you know, and it just made me think about why I got into the distilling business. Yeah. And I want to live in a world where we can still buy handmade products and Agreed. where everything is not made by AI. And that was, that was one of the motivating factors for me was just, you know, working in film as fun as it was, it was still ones and zeros. Whereas sure. making gin is I'm very much part of the process and you make this physical tangible product that someone can pick up and smell and taste and hold mm-hmm. and that's really important to me and I want to try and keep that going even as we grow but keep that handmade kind of personal aspect to it right and so uh, let's get to the way yeah um, so spirits and sustainability um I don't think people think a lot about the ingredients that go into spirits I think maybe more so in the wine world um but and that's not true for everyone. I think there are some spirit brands like Good Vodka who are doing sure. really really interesting things. Um, but something that was important to me was to talk about what goes into it and have that transparency with the customer, and then right. see if we could do it in a more sustainable way. Most, no pun intended, most gin is made from corn. Some gins are made from wheat. Um, you know, corn made gin. The process is that huge massive producers are making neutral spirits from corn that's grown in Indiana and Iowa for the most part and then it's being trucked wherever it needs to go and then right. redistilled to make gin. And it's it's pretty energy and water intensive. And so we wanted to work with uh, a neutral spirit that came from New York that was made from uh, something a little more sustainable. So we found um, another larger distillery up in the Finger Lakes that was turning whey, and it's actually Chobani whey mm-hmm. byproduct into 190 proof alcohol. And so is that is so that is the is that the uh, correct me if I'm wrong? Is that the waste product of dairy? That's yeah. what whey is, yeah. right? Okay, it's a byproduct of making byproduct, yeah. yogurt and cheese and milk. Okay, uh, and there's a few uses for whey, but a lot of it gets thrown away. Right. And so I was excited about using something that was mostly a byproduct, mm-hmm. um, even if dairy is not the best industry, and then turning it into something really special mm-hmm. like gin. Um, and I think it also sets it apart. It gives it this this smooth, silky mouthfeel. There's no residual dairy. Like if right. you're lactose intolerant, you right. can still drink it. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, re- I re- just really like the sustainability fact that we're, we're using something that is a byproduct. That's what I get the most excited about. Yeah. Uh, and then let's talk about the forging and the botanicals. Um, and then uh, why don't we taste the first 
gin. That, that sounds We're going to do a little gin tasting. Yeah. I mean, getting into gin, the other thing I realized was that it was a pretty crowded market. Right. There's a lot of gins out there. And there's a lot of great gins out there. And so one of the challenges that we faced and still very much face is how to stand out in that crowded field. Yeah. And to the earlier point about it being this wide category because it has to have juniper, but beyond that, you can do almost anything. I saw uh, opportunity to push the boundaries of what people think of as gin. Right. And that's what we do through our seasonal gins. And so because we're up in the Catskills, I wanted to look around and say, what's, what's growing in any given season? And then can we pick something that's growing and then build a gin around it? Which is really fantastic. Challenge. Yeah, because if you think about like the farmer's market, you go to Union Square on a Saturday, what they have is what's available for that season. Exactly. So to pair that with your gin yeah. or you know, stay in, in step with that uh, concept and philosophy, it makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, and the fact yeah. that you're doing your own foraging for it. Yes. Yeah. We, we forage as much as possible or at least one key ingredient for mm -hmm. each gin. Um, and so, I mean, spring gin is one of my favorites just because we make it with ramps, which New Yorkers go kind of nuts oh, for. New Yorkers go crazy for ramps. Yeah. It's ramp season. Yeah. It's ramp yeah. season. It's, and all it's their sauces and uh, big ramp energy yeah. in yeah. March and April. <laughs> uh, but ramps are so cool. Yeah. And uh, it, to the sustainability point, you have to be kind of careful picking ramps because they have a seven-year life cycle. So if you pick the bulb, the whole plant, it's going to take another seven years oh, wow. to regrow a new one. Um, oh. But we, because of that, you have to kind of selectively patch, not pick a entire ramp patch bare. Just pick a part of it so it can right. regrow. Or just take the leaves and don't pick oh. the bulbs. Okay. So we do that. But on this distillery property that we moved into recently, there's a hillside full of ramps. I and mean, we have acres of them. So How great is that? It's fantastic. Yeah. Could not be happier. Yeah. So let's yeah. try the first one. Let's, let's try the first one. Oh, man. So this is our, this is our original gin. Mm -hmm. And this is our flagship. Seven botanicals. My theory is, you know, ma making gin is kind of like cooking. You don't need tons of ingredients. You just need a few really high-quality ingredients. It's something most people realize. Like, it's all about the ingredients. It really is. Great restaurants, it's because they get incredible produce, incredible fish, or, you know, and that's why you see the chalkboards with the farm's name, farm name on it, because yeah. people care. And there's more flavor uh, to, yeah. to this stuff. Fresh it's, ingredients. Yeah, yeah. it just yeah. It, it has pop to it. Yeah. This is gorgeous the aromatics you definitely you know, you know it's jim there's more um there's like a, a almost a tangerine kind of component yeah a pepper kind of component to it the uh, pepper component yeah. that's one of my favorites yeah. you, you get the kind of that on the tail yeah of the palate that's finished. from um, a botanical called kubeb mm -hmm. c-u-b-e-b hmm. which is similar to black pepper and i love that note because it comes through in something like a martini yeah oh yeah, yeah. totally oh uh, yeah well we'll talk about martinis in a bit but let's we'll get through this should we taste some more gin? Yeah, let's taste some more gin. What's the second one? So we moving have... on, we have mushroom gin. And so mushroom this is gin. the yeah, this is the one everyone's like, ah, Mike's a recording engineer here today. He's like, yeah. oh wait, I gotta grab that on the way out. Yeah, what is mushroom? What gin? is mushroom gin? And yeah. uh, you know, we we chatted a teeny about this, but like, um, mushrooms are like they're so 
healthy and their mushroom coffee, mushroom everything. The adaptogen mushrooms are component. having a moment. They are having yeah. a moment. I think yeah. I, I don't think it's going away. Uh, no. I, really, I love mushrooms. I don't eat a lot of meat, so mushrooms yeah. are part of my diet. Yeah, uh, my daughter drinks mushroom coffee, which I actually like. Um, I haven't had mushroom coffee, but I gotta try. It's, it's really good. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so why mushroom gin? That's just a, this. Uh, it's just uh, you talk, I'll taste. Sounds great. There's two answers to that. One is it goes back to the philosophy of the distillery, which is let's let's pick this local ingredient and then see if we can build a gin around it, yeah. right? So I love that challenge sure. of taking an unusual ingredient that you don't think of as being incorporated into spirits that often and then making something out of it. So that's one reason. Mm. And the other reason is uh, we work with these really fantastic photographers, um, Andrea Gentle and Martin Hires, mm. um, and they shoot some of the best spirits brands around the world, but they have a place up in the Catskills and decided they, they liked us and wanted to work with us. And Andrea also, when she's not shooting photography, um, is an avid mushroom forager. Oh. So she was writing a cookbook called Cooking with Mushrooms that came out last year. And she asked me if we wanted to make a mushroom gin to kind of accompany the release. And I said, absolutely, yeah. let's I, do it. I tell you the base note on this, it mm-hmm. has that kind of earth, but there's still that kind of s- sweet berry fruit that comes over the top. So it's is this really kind of crazy depth of complexity. It's hard to put your yeah. finger on it. Yeah. Like I think yeah. some people can recognize this clearly as having mushrooms, mm. um, but I didn't want to make it such a prominent flavor that it kind of hit you over the head. Like I wanted you to have to think about it. So it's like this this earthiness that you almost can't put your finger on. Yeah, it's but it's great. It's the, for me, I feel like it's the base note of it. It hits my yeah. mid palate and just like there's an earth and then it comes over the top with these beautiful kind of flavors. Yeah. It's uh, got this crazy natural sweetness. Too. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, 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 the sweetness comes over the earth, which is like beautiful. Yeah. We also distill with chamomile in this oh, and wow. then white pine, which we pick on the property. So oh, that's sure. another forge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love the idea, you know, that it's uh, the mushroom might make it healthier. I, I, I don't give a shit if that's true, but you but know, let's, I, let's call it the let's placebo imagine. effect, shall we? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. hey, I, I think this is better for me because it's got mushrooms in it, and I'll take yeah. mushrooms anyway and get them. So it might be. And if you're go. drinking gin, there you go. There you yeah. go. It balances out some of the alcohol effects. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do we have? The third one. So the third one. Um, is a gin that we just bottled and released. So this is this is of the moment. This is winter this gin, is, and and winter gin uh, is one of my favorites. You can smell the apple, or yeah, but winter gin is infused with wild apples that we yeah. pick up in the Catskills, and dried pear and Assam tea, which is this loose leaf black tea from right. India that has these kind of chocolatey, smoky notes. But I love the apples in this because we're going out and picking like not from an orchard but the gnarliest wild kind of cider apple trees that we can find yeah. that are native to the Catskills yeah. which is which is great because there's a, a cider maker uh, Aaron Burr maybe you probably know him but he only try, tries you just wild yeah. orchards and yeah. uh, it's a totally different looking apple yeah. and it's killer yeah the apples yeah. themselves are pretty ugly but yeah. man they taste good yeah. but it's great because the apples we pick change year to year uh and so hmm. I like to think of it as kind of vintages where like the 2023 is going to taste a little different than the, than the 2022. Well, that's cool about it. That's why it's, that's why it's, that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. Like, it shouldn't be, it's not an industrial product. It's not Coke. It's not Bombay Sapphire. It's not, yeah. it's not like made in factories. It should have a, a slight variance, you know, and that's something that's the beauty of it. We try to lean into is kind of having this living, breathing spirit because, yeah. you know, I think with wine, 
it's accepted that you have vintages and it changes year right. to year, but with spirits, it's, you know, the market for the most part demands that it's consistent. And sure. so some of our products like original gin are super consistent. And right. then the seasonals, we can have a little more fun with yeah. and let them take on the character of what we're using in any given year. Yeah. I have to tell you, I, I don't know, it's the power of suggestion, but it feels like a cidery wintry gin yeah. to me on my palate. Um, and man, it doesn't go away. It just sits there and Keeps, yeah. keeps waving hello at me. We want to kind of <laughs> capture capture the essence of like winter seasonal fall flavors without it being obnoxious, like not right. too much baking spice, yeah. you know, that's, but that's complex. Right, that's right on. Yeah, it's good sipping gin. Like you can just put that over a rock with, you know, like a, an orange twist, call yeah. it a day. Yeah. Um, we'll taste the last, well, it's not the last one, but we're going to talk about some cocktails, possible cocktails for this as well. Yeah. Uh, so the last one is the... The last one's spring gin. And this... Wow, has a funky green note to it right on the right out of the so gate. So that's the gin made with wild ramps. Yeah, and so I it's literally it's like drinking yeah. a, a, a dirty oh, yeah. martini. Yeah, in a yeah, bottle. yeah, totally. Yeah, and this one's fun. This one we won't make again until March or April, but this one's like a cult classic. People taste this and they're either like, "Why would you make that?" or "That's the best thing I've ever yeah, had." No, I, I think it's yeah. awesome. Pulls me right in the the, the, the nose. The olfactory just says, "Yeah." Pulls me in. I'm like, wow, "What is crazy this? This is great, savory?" Yeah. yeah. So we distill with. Um, it almost smells like truffles, tarragon, really, yeah. and, and watercress, yeah. and then we add the ramps post distillation, yeah. and so they just give it this oniony punch. Yeah, that, that, it's that the onion smell reminds me of of truffles to some degree. Yeah, I'm like yeah. wow, but it's much more intense on the nose, and mm. then you sip it, uh, and it's kind of gentle. Mm. Hmm. That's kind of crazy, right? Man, that's fucking, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's a, I think it's a great way to introduce people who tend to think of gin as, eh, I don't really drink gin and like get them in the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the flavor profiles are so unique to And some the of them are not very ginny. Yeah. Like if you poured winter gin for someone, I don't know if they'd know that was gin. No. No, I know. Yeah. I, I, I don't think so. And that last one, like I said, I, I, I love the last one. Um, yeah. I, I just, my head is like exploding with like onion, truffle, like when it feels like I could do that as a winter cocktail for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is fun because it's so savory and I think savory cocktails are having a moment too, but yeah. I love this in a, like a, a Bloody Mary or just dirty martinis. Yeah. Yeah. Bloody Mary would be fantastic. So, so, so what's, uh, what are some of the cocktails you'd like to see it in? I mean, the Bloody Mary makes total sense. For the spring gin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know you batched up some, so. I did. Uh, yeah. I did. I have a tasting after this. Yeah. So I have a whole jar of, of Bloody Mary with spring gin. Oh, yeah. You're, you're going to blow people away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of fun. I mean, I like to like taste this, the gin on its own and then taste it in something so you can kind of see what it what it can turn into. Um, so, um, vegan gin? Vegan gin. We do, we do make a vegan version of our original gin, right. which is made from corn, as much as I hated on corn earlier. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but we do that because, yeah, the way is not technically vegan. And, right. you know, there's some really, really wonderful vegan customers and restaurants, so we yeah. want to be able to work with them too. We have calls all the time at Tierra for vegan wine, which yeah. basically means you're not using a, an egg white filter or some kind of yeah. thing like that. But yeah. um, it's, it's again, I think it's, uh, it's geeky and, you know, a, a niche, but in step with what we're talking about, people care what they put in their body. And I think it also starts the conversation because yeah. people don't often think to ask, are spirits vegan or yeah. is wine vegan? And often mm -hmm. the answer is no. Right. And so it's just, it makes you think and stop and ask and, and then be more educated. Hmm. 
So will you continue um, just uh, this, the line will change seasonally? Um, in five years, you know, what would you like your production to look like? Man, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I think the, you know, I, I love the seasonal gins. I think the only struggle that I have is, is sometimes it's hard to convince people to drink something called winter gin in the summertime. And and vice versa. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I think the this the season is really special, but also limiting in some way. Yeah. Uh, so that's something I got to think about. Um, but I don't know. I want to keep exploring and just being inspired by where we are in the Catskills. And and if I come across some new ingredient, thinking just like, can I build a gin around this? Right. Yeah. I just love that idea. Like you find a unique flavor or herb or. Whatever, and this is like now I'm going to build a great gin around this flavor. Absolutely, you know, that's just yeah. that's so yeah. brilliant. To, Let's see uh, if we can highlight that flavor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy because now in the gin market, you see it because you're out all the time, and I do. Like I see, you know, gin coming out of like Spain, and I see it coming out of like places I've never even thought. Yeah. Um, there was just an article in the Times about gin coming out of. Um, I want to say it was South America, like yeah. Peru. Yeah. But it's having a moment, and their gin distillery springing up everywhere. And maybe they're seeing the same things that we're seeing in gin, which is just kind of the potential for creativity. Right. Yeah. What, what I think would be great is if they could kind of use your model and like, like that gin should not taste like Bombay. Yeah. Right. It shouldn't just be all juniper. I think the success of it will be on that, you know, if, if it tastes like it came from Spain or Portugal or, and why in that town yeah. they have a specific, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, um, what do they use in, uh, up in up in Tarragonian Spain, they do uh, leeks. They have they do romesco. Like and you know, like if you could, and it becomes almost regional. Yeah, where that, there's like different regional styles of gin. Right. I mean, you know what that makes me think of is Procera gin out of South Africa is using South African juniper berries, right? And I think that's pretty cool. And and there's a domestic gin. I know the guys behind this Suncliff gin out of Arizona, and they're picking juniper berries in Arizona. And so I think there is some regionality already and, to brands. And is there a big taste difference for your palate? Like you could, like, oh, yeah, that totally tastes like a different kind of juniper. Because what I like, yours has a uh, the mandatory level of juniper, but then it's yeah. all the other stuff that really makes it interesting. Yeah. Man, I wish I had a good enough palate yeah. to answer that question. But, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I think for me, like yeah. it's the the juniper is a necessary part of gin yeah. and is a backbone to the flavor, but I really get excited about what we're layering on top of yeah. that. Well, so like when it comes to the mushrooms or the apples or the ramps, I mean that's what really gives the our gins personality. Right. I mean that's that's what we saw today in the tasting. Like how yeah. how incredible uh and, and moving they are to taste these uh these yeah. gins yeah. side by side. Yeah. I love the seasonal idea. Um, we all eat seasonally, try to, most of us, yeah, right? Yeah, um, or we and, should yeah. do a better job, yeah. Uh, so before we go, I want people to know where they can find this. Obviously, Isolation Gin, you have your um, website that steers you to, I believe, Aster. Yep. Um, you know, T. Edward represents it on the East Coast. Yes, uh, and we're just on the East Coast. Yeah. I mean, we're we're expanding, and hopefully at some point we'll be on the West Coast. But I always ask customers to send us an email or a message on Instagram, and I can help them kind of find the right retail partner who can ship to them anywhere in the U.S. Okay, so what's your Instagram so people can get that? We are at Isolation Proof, and it's www.isolationproof.com okay. for our website. And we have retailers and a, a shop locator there as well. I saw that. It's great. I yeah. see, and, and restaurants like French Chat. So really cool. Absolutely. Like yeah, we work with yeah. fantastic restaurants yeah. around the city. And we, we're in retail spots all over Brooklyn and Manhattan and working on expanding into New Jersey and Connecticut and Pennsylvania soon. 
Okay, so um, we're going to fast forward like you're, you're a very old man and it's time for you to leave and God comes to you in a dream and he says, hey, Jake, you know what? Turns out mushrooms in gin really does help people be more healthy. <laughs> Science never proved it, but I'm, I'm going to say thank you for doing this. I'm going to give you the gift. Your last day on the planet, you get to know what it is. So you, what are you going to eat on that last day? What are you going to drink? And what piece of music are you going to listen to? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think I'm probably going to eat a pork chop because there's there's nothing like a good pork chop. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I what think I'll you? have a pork chop. All right. And mushrooms make me think of, I just had this, and I'm blanking on the name, but this incredible... Uh, mushroom rum out of oh, wow. Mexico. Okay. That was pretty special. So I think I'll drink that with my pork chop. I love and it. And I'll listen to some blues. Uh, there's a new album called New Moves by okay. The Chess Project. Okay. Great blues. All right, yeah. cool. Hey, uh, thank you so much for being on Drinking on the Job podcast. Thanks I, for having me. Uh, from the first time I met you, I was like, oh my God, this is well, this is the kind of stories I, I love to you know sit and talk with people how they got their start and uh, um, and you in the film business you know you always were looking for the great stories and I want to thank you for being on the podcast this was a blast thanks oh, John thanks thanks again for listening don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com until then I'll see you at the bar <laughs>